welcome back to the Lightly Literary Podcast. We are the Thoughtful Book Club podcast that maintains a successful side business where we catch peeping toms and creeps on the side. Amanda, have you caught any peeping toms this week? Um, not this week, but I any mean, flashers? Once the rain clears up, then perhaps. <laughs> oh, that's peak time for the flashers, though. They get the raincoats out. Yeah. <laughs> Just to say this up front, too, legally, we cannot condone vigilantism in any form. We, our legal yeah. department here is pretty tight. We run a pretty tight ship here. So I just wanted to clarify our position on that formally, but we do have some successful side operations in the works. If you didn't understand that joke, that is because this is a book club episode in which we will be discussing a novel titled Kim Ji Young, Born 1982, and it was a reference to that. Today we'll be discussing the first half of that novel. This is a book club episode, so we do an analytical deep dive. If you don't know who we are, we're the Lightly Literary Podcast. I'm Travis. That's Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hello. <laughs> you can find us on social media. Our Instagram account and Facebook accounts are both the Lightly Literary Podcast, so come find us on there, one word. Rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice and all that good stuff. And today, as I mentioned, we're here to analyze the first half of this novel, Kim Ji-young, born 1982. It is a South Korean translated work. The reason this was chosen, I'm going to leave to Amanda. They'll all set it up. We pick books here based on prompts. One person gives the other person a prompt and they pick accordingly. My prompt for this one was simple. I kind of teed you up because I know you've been itching to recommend South Korean literature to people before. So that was the prompt. I said, pick a work that has been translated out of Korean. I guess I left that open-ended in case you wanted to pick something from North Korea, but I yeah. that just didn't seem likely given... The conditions of that country and publication and all that stuff so mm-hmm. anyway um do you want to talk us through what this work is and why you chose it sure um i chose this one because i wanted to choose something that was pretty recent this was written in 2016 um so it's very recent and i chose it because it's something that has had a major effect on um Korea's policy towards women actually it was made into a right. movie in 2017 and then it um made such an impact on the society <laughs> that it like some of the legislation has changed to protect women's rights now so excellent yeah R- probably the first work we've covered in this new lightly literary relaunch that is has such an impact or that has had yeah. i don't i mean janesville was a non-fiction work that certainly got noticed by major publications but I don't think it changed anything profoundly. Yeah. So Maybe can, more people hate Paul Ryan, but <laughs> he did that on his own. The book, the book certainly <laughs> documented certain reasons and decisions. That's for sure. But that some of those riffs had been torn open before that book was published to be <laughs> sure. National politics folks. It's, can get ugly it's not pretty out there yeah (laughs) okay so if at this point i haven't made it clear enough let's dig into the episode again this is a book club episode which means we will be analyzing the first half of the novel spoiling the whole thing if that doesn't bother you and you want to listen and join us anyway you're welcome to the discussion as always if you've read then you're in the exact right place congratulations and if you're unsure we have a book recommendation up in the feed for this episode and this book so if you might want to read it and you don't want to get spoiled just go listen to the book recommendation and without further ado let's dig into this book club for the first half of this book oh final thing for those who have read by the way this book has six parts and so we split it we read the first three parts is that right i'm pretty sure yes so yeah there's um three chapters and we've read up uh the first uh three up to adolescence yes we read the first three out of six 
Yeah. Which this one didn't break cleanly in half according to page number. So we didn't read half according to that count. We just split it that way just as a technical term. Okay. Or a clarification. Okay. Let's get into the fill in the blanks. We like to begin some book clubs with fill in the blank prompts. Amanda, you have to begin this because I will admit, I don't think I understood what you meant, but I'm eager to hear what you meant and how horribly I mangled this. Go ahead and walk us through (laughs) the fill in the blank prompt and what you chose for it. Sure. Um, So I chose this prompt because the very first chapter of the book, um, we see that she kind of channels either her mother or her daughter or her friend. Yes. Yes. In speaking when she wants to voice an opinion. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, so I asked the question or I, I set it up as if I impersonated someone in order to voice my opinions, it would be blank. So who would you... Who would you emulate in your speech in order to get your opinion across if you felt like you could not otherwise voice your opinion? I Okay, there's so much to dig into there, but yes, I did not understand this in that way. So why don't you go first and I'll think on it. <laughs> sure. Um, so I said if I impersonated someone um, to voice my opinions, I would actually, I would love to do that with uh, President Barack Obama. Um <laughs> Because that would certainly creep people out. There are a few (laughs) things you do not have in common with him. But he's such a great speaker, right? He just he's very eloquent. He knows when to I mean, people make fun of like the long pauses that he would have, but it was very effective. And everyone listens to him when he's speaking. Right. So if the whole point is to get your opinion across, I think that speaking at least with the same gravitas and the same skill as uh, Barack Obama, if not his amazing voice, then, you know, that's, I think that would be really effective. (laughs) I read the impersonation as I literally would have to be like an actor as if I would have to don the accent, maybe not the appearance, but the accent, the speech patterns. So Mm -hmm. I, for that interpretation, I put nothing. I don't think I would be good at doing that with any famous person. I would just have to suffer it as myself. But so you're essentially asking me if I had a disassociative psychological breakdown, yeah. who would my other personalities emerge to be? Yes. Okay. I don't even know if I have an answer, though. I'll try and just fill air, dead air here by talking it out, I suppose. <laughs> I don't think it would be my brother because, frankly, we're too similar. But in connection to the book, then, that might be a great answer because I don't really think she's changing her affect or anything very much. She just mm-hmm. is speaking from their point of view. I don't when she talks like her friend, did she change her delivery or her? She sort of, did. OK. It's okay. the same with her mother, too. She did the wink like her mom yes, does. And got it. The, when she talks to him, she uses the name that the mother uses. Right. And, and I remember she had some kind of recollection that only the friend would have known about the romance, right. about their romance. So, yes, okay, there would be some background knowledge involved and some affects. And then did she speak in young kids speak when she was the child? When she was the child, uh, because in, in that particular scene, the, the baby was only like two, um, She what she did was she was sucking her thumb. That's what it was. And, yeah, so she was acting like the child rather than speaking. Okay. Now that we've done a very diligent summary of something I should have remembered, I still don't think I've arrived at an answer. The Barack Obama one is funny just because he does have an incredibly particular way of speaking. I suppose if my meltdown was aiming for some kind of persuasion or coherence, maybe some kind of political pundit type like Stephen Colbert maybe or Jon Stewart or something, just kind of a 
I was going to say straightforward. I don't think that they have necessarily straightforward personas or manners of speech, but something like that, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't become a child, or at least I wouldn't think I would. I think that would indicate something that has gone horribly awry. And so maybe if I was doing some kind of breakdown and it was not going well, it was out of my control, I really don't know what my subconscious would revert back to. I, I truly, it's a tough question. I wish I had interpreted this correctly. It's a great prompt, but I'm <laughs> impressed that you, no, 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 it's okay. I just interpreted this so differently. I thought it was kind of, so here's how what I thought you meant. I thought you meant that the author had so blatantly written this book as if to give her impersonation saying, I know we have contemporary issues. I'm going to write about them so clearly. Although it's not me, the author, it's so clearly like me that I'm kind of doing a fictional impersonation. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that's what you meant. Kind of like if I had to tell my story, but make it fiction to make it interesting or convincing to an audience, that's what I thought you meant. Uh, so I did a little write-up about how I would make it maybe a detective noir without the twist or some. You know, anyway, wrong interpretation. Fascinating, though. But I think my brother would be such a safe bet. And I think I could do a pretty compelling impersonation of him. But frankly, it wouldn't be that different from myself. It would have little little quirks. I'd have to ask my mom about it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, any final thoughts on the impersonations? I Of which I will not do now. I will not perform one on the pod. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to hear me do Obama. It'd be terrible. I'd say give it a shot if you want at any point today. You could freak me out. <laughs> well, if I feel oppressed at any point and I need to voice my opinion, I'll do it as Barack Obama. Please do so. And now we will do our best impersonations of coherent podcast hosts, and we will move on to the next segment, shall we? Yeah. Yes. Great. I think he might even have a podcast now, so we can say it's Barack-like. We're doing the block yes. Barack-like segue, which is not fun to say. <laughs> Let's talk about surprises, Amanda. We like to begin our first book club episodes with some surprises in the text. Pleasant or otherwise is how this is titled, so you can take it how you want. Since I failed so miserably, I will go first at the previous section, segment, rather. <laughs> My surprise is pretty simple, and I think I will say it's unpleasant, which I'll get into, and I'm, I'm assuming we'll unpack this in great depth and detail today. Uh, the footnotes, not only just that they existed, but the style and implementation sorry, of them was surprising to me. Now, it fits the storytelling, so I'll begin there. This story is written so starkly and clearly, almost, almost objectively in a way. And it's not an objective narration, but it feels sometimes so neutral as to seem that way. So, okay, you put in these journalistic type references. These are academic style annotations. They are not stylish in any way they have no commentary no voice no tone no, there's no writing in them they are a dead drop of information and they recalled to me the two most common authors who i think get the stylistic versions associated with their names are david foster wallace and huno diaz who both i should say i i don't know this is just the world we live in i feel like i have to say this those are both like noted abusers and have assaulted women and they are problematic figures support them or don't you know you know what i mean like either mm -hmm. you, you, I, I don't know why i'm talking around that so much but i just want to say that that those are problematic people who have histories of abuse so we're not really here to talk about them but i think stylistically in the past 10 to 20 years 
Those are the two authors who get associated with implementing annotations or footnotes, but those are aggressively stylized. They're digressive. They're often attempting to be funny. Again, I don't want to endorse either of those authors. If you think they're funny, whatever. If you don't, whatever. They're, but that's what they're attempting. They're attempting to be long-winded, outrageous, absurd, oftentimes off the wall. This is just such a contrast to that. This is ripped from an academic paper style. So I don't know. I think a lot of this book feels like research, though it is a novel. But And I, I look at page 19, for example, when I think it was the first one that was introduced to me was on 19. I'm going to pull that quickly. When it's injected into the story, the paragraph reads... Abortion due to medical problems had been legal for 10 years at that point, and checking the sex of the fetus and aborting females was common practice, as if daughter was a medical problem. This went on through the 1980s, and in the early 1990s, the very height of the male-to-female ratio imbalance, when the ratio for the third child and beyond was over 2 to 1. And then it goes from there. That could be copy-pasted from an article. I mean, there's no... There's no style there to hint that you're in a novel. And so I guess in that way they fit. Do I like having a novel written in this way overwhelmingly? Not really, but it's it doesn't harm the style and it doesn't detract. It did surprise me, though. So that's a very digressive answer and including a incoherent some incoherent rambling about two authors who did not write this book. But I just thought that that was the touch point that stood out to me. So how did you feel about the footnotes? Yeah, that's um, actually kind of related to the surprise that I um, had thought up for this uh, mm-hmm. portion as well. And it's that particular section <laughs> as well. The footnotes I actually um, go on to talk about as actually um, I I do like them in that I enjoy getting that um that information for myself. I, it's the way that the the novel is written is like almost not a novel in that it seems to be actually more of a clinical report. Um, and I think, and, and this will get, uh, I think explained later in the novel, probably that it's, it's third person. It's starting with her um, breakdown. Then it's going back into the history and talking about, the factors that could have led to that breakdown, including social and cultural injustices toward her. And I think it's just meant to highlight that this is something that was widespread and not particular to this one character. Of course. Um, Which is also reflected in the novel's name in the, in the main character's name, Kim Ji Young, which is kind of like the equivalent of our Jane Doe. Right. Okay. That's just such a, it's like an every person name an everybody yeah. name. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so there's lots of, of young ladies named G young. Um, and so it's, it's like the, the equivalent of Jane Doe. So it's, it's meant to, I think be a part of like just a reflection of like every, all or most women have experienced the same things that she has perhaps not right. the, the mental breakdown there, but the, oh, you mean the fun literary part that was interesting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah. I'll, I'll keep I, my judgmental language out of this. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. But I, I think that it's meant to sound like a clinical report because I think that you know we're gonna find that it's being written, quote unquote, by like a therapist or something that's analyzing the causes of that breakdown. 
Um, it seems that way, though. I, I always hesitate around in-text. What's the word for that? Well, anyway, an in-text justification for the narration's existence or for the text's existence. I always feel like that's a fantasy trope that is just sort of overplayed and boring at this point. Just let the narrator be a omniscient whatever narrator. I don't need that to be satisfying, but you've nailed the style. If it Yes, if it's revealed that way at the end, I would nod and say, sure, it's just written so kind of clear-sightedly. And at times, I think there was a quote on the back of the book that called it poignant or something. I mm. I don't know. I feel like I need a bit more artistry to feel that poignancy. Maybe I'm just a really annoying person, though, when I read. <laughs> I wonder, too, because um, I wonder about this particular style. Another book that I read that was written or translated from Korean, I believe it was translated from Korean, is called The Martyred uh, mm-hmm. by Richard... E. Kim, I think it's translated from Korean. Anyways, and it's um about North and South Korea, uh, but it's based mm-hmm. mostly in North Korea. And it's about the mini- um ministry there, like the Christian ministry and how it was like destroyed um because of obviously like the the communist um, rhetoric and stuff like that, and and people just yeah trying to get rid of religion up there. Um, Anyway, the style is also very stark and very almost clinically written. Um, Interesting. Uh, so I'm not 100% sure, but I know that there are other Korean novels that are more beautifully written where there's a lot of like um, imagery and stuff like that. But I wonder if it's dealing in particular with traumas like that, like traumatic situations. I wonder right, if they, right. if the style is meant to be so clinical and stuff like that to... Um, I don't know, mitigate some of the horrors that are presented in the books. It it raises questions of just baseline fundamental questions of why something needs to be fictionalized versus reported or studied Mm -hmm. academically or through the journalism or the government or, you know, public health. It just, I think it raises those questions and I, we can get into the style we're about to talk about some motifs, for example, but I think those are worth keeping in the back of one's mind. They're certainly in the back of mind when I read something like this, just because of how spare everything is. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder, I you know, I read those footnotes and then wonder, could somebody hand me the 3,000 word essay about Korean history with women's rights? That I'd love to read it. You know, <laughs> I'd love to read the reporting. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Within the narrative, is it? I Again, I think it works is in terms of interest, engagement, all that stuff. We'll talk about some specifics here and, and just dig in. So let's transition then to those motifs. We do like to also begin some of the book clubs with a discussion of the motifs and the literary elements or story details or story elements that we think matter. Amanda, why don't you begin with your motif? What are you, what are you noticing so far? Um, there's a lot of discussion of fault and blame. Um, yeah. Where generally boys and men are not to be blamed um and women are blamed victims are blamed and also like right the idea of well that's just how it is so like yeah. cultural just like acceptance so it's like the blame is like if you can't get with the program then that's on you probably um, most pointedly the most recent one when she was off the bus and had been stalked and then was kind of, I, I mean, it was slut shaming by her father because he pointed oh, yeah. out her the way she dressed. So, yeah, and then he gave her the whole critique about that. Yeah, which is funny because um, since she was at her cram school, her hagwon, then it's like 
<laughs> she's wearing her school uniform. Right. Like that's right. not, <laughs> it's not at all. Right. And the guy was like, Oh, you smile at me and you're like inviting me to do this. And then you act like I'm some weirdo who's just like out to stalk you and stuff. It's, so again, it's not just her dad that's doing it, but the dude who's like stalking her and threatening her is also blaming her. Right. Right. For not reciprocating when, when he finally makes an advance or something. Right. Exactly. And, um, it's, and then even the lady, when she calls to, to, to thank the lady who had run out of the bus to save her from this rando guy because her dad didn't, didn't get there in time. Um, when she called the lady to thank her, the lady was like, it's not your fault. And she like, it, it even said like, um, that she didn't know how to respond. She was just quiet because she had to think about it because she was like, that's the first person that said it wasn't my fault. Right. Right. And she's comforted in that moment by the, Sort of the, I was going to say admission. It's not really an admission, but the conclusion, she says, where they're not all bad or something. That gives yeah. her a bit of buoyancy, emotional buoyancy in the moment. Gives her some yeah. hope, I suppose, that yeah. it won't always be so dreadful. I think there's a line in there, too, about her sister saying, once you get to college, you can have a boyfriend and things will settle down for you. Or, you know, things will be fun, something like that. And yeah, so, she says the way that you can get past these issues is if you just um, have a, the thought that when I get to college, she, this is what I remember specifically, when I get to college, I will lose weight and I will get a boyfriend. Ah, so, that's what the other one was. Yeah. Yeah. No, so no, like <laughs> no the, gendered the expectations. Being, yeah. Yeah. The contingency being that you have to be like physically attractive by being skinny and these are like young girls. It's not like they're like overweight by any means, you know? Right, right. Yeah, that's, I think, fault and blame in the the absence of men from the narrative, which I did not pick for my motif, but I know you put in one of your later things, so I don't want to yeah. get ahead on the discussion. But I think it amplifies that in a way that I've it enjoyed in terms of its construction. But I, it, they mm -hmm. do, you feel that absence, though. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no, I guess the father being inserted in that one moment, that's the most he says, right? It's yep. his most present moment in the entire story, and it's an aggressive, slut-shaming, blaming his daughter event yep. after a traumatic incident. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's it's a good one to pick up on. I, I like that motif, and I noticed it too, especially that scene stood out to me the most. But yeah. yes, also with the some of the husband-wife dynamics feel that way too. Yeah, so we don't just see it with Kim Ji Young, but we see it with right. the grandmother, the mother. It's generational. It's not just the one. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it opens with the grandmother and the milk. Mm -hmm. So there's that. My motif is rebellion. The I think the culmination for me is on page 46 when the, I'm just going to say the girls gang, I don't know, the friend group, <laughs> the superhero group, the vigilantes, <laughs> When they yeah. trap the man who is the infamous flasher in their neighborhood and they take him into the police, which does lead to discipline for them. They, they, they are told you should be ashamed of yourselves. What a disgrace for our school. And someone right. calls them a motherfucker. Uh, a bully calls them that for turning in the flasher. But there are other rebellions, too. That one is just the most dramatic, I think, in terms of conflict narrative and just it's not that it's absurd that it happened, but it's just such an extreme event and that they took it into their own hands was a pretty 
I don't know, pretty important moment of agency in the story, I think. It was it surprised me that that's how it ended or something. Mm-hmm. But there are other ones too. So the it opens with her stealing her brother's formula and she just wants it, right? And the sister pushes back a bit um on that moment or kind of I think consoles her in it and says like, "Ah, not such a big deal." Later, the older sister pushes back on the mother's expectations. They have the long debate about whether she should attend teacher's college or a communications type college. And so there's a little bit of rebellion in that, though. Man, her sister talks her mom out of it quickly. <laughs> or, and I then know, it right? eventually comes around to her mother's side, by the way. But that conversation was really brief, I thought, in an odd way, but fair enough. Her mother really acquiesces and is quite passive in that way. But there are these moments, right, that are they're rebellion, primarily, of course, the women and girls in the story trying to change things, do things differently, change their uniform, and they're just trying to see what they can manipulate and how far they can push and take their power. I think the most notable thing about the gang trapping the flasher moment is that it's left, the kind of denouement of that is left so open-ended. All it says is they went to the police. Who knows what happened? We don't know what happened to him. And I... yeah. I think we have no my, idea whether he was actually arrested, yeah, if he was yeah. tried, yeah. And I think in that way, that set an important tone of, yes, this really dramatic extreme event occurred, and it almost feels celebratory in the moment. You can picture them just ganging up on him in the hallway and just like kicking him with their school shoes or whatever, however it went down. But then, yeah, to be left with such a flat conclusion... And so unsatisfying. I don't know if the rest of the narratives will end up that way. But, you know, if her sister's college experience will go badly or if the some of the other dynamics will play out in a similar way. But that one, it surprised me how dramatic that was. And then it surprised me the way it ended. But at that point, it's not surprised. That felt intentional to me. Yeah. Any thoughts on Rebellion? Any of them seem more meaningful than others? Well, I just, I, I did notice that as well. And it's always like slapped down by the older people, right? Yes. By the teachers, by the parents, um, by the grandparents, any act of talking back or rebellion of any sort, it's like punished by getting yelled at or in the mother's case, not even getting yelled at, right? She didn't yell at, um, what's, what's, is it Unyoung? Un Unyoung, right? Her sister? Her sister. Yeah. yeah. She didn't yell at Eun-young, she, um, but instead she kind of like guilted her by talking like later about the dad's possible financial situation and all this stuff. So still slapped down, but just not in a, in a, an aggressive way like the others. So there's, there's in your face ways of telling the girls like, no, you can't do that. You have to behave this way. And then there's the mother's way, which is a lot more like underhanded, like, when she even talks about like the way that they raised the brother, right. They helped raise the brother and it wasn't like she would, they were forced to do it. They were just praised every time that they did it for her, that they couldn't not do it because of the praise. So she does it in a more underhanded way of like defeating that rebellion. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I'm curious the the way her sister Un Young comes around on the teacher's college and even the sister Ji Young makes a plea to her mom, not a plea, but an admittance that it seems sincere, that she actually does want it. She wouldn't, you couldn't talk her into it if she didn't and all that stuff. I do wonder how that part of the story will end just because so many of these other rebellions have not held up or have seemed so temporary or so on ice, I suppose. And so yeah. 
yeah, that that one is ongoing, so I, I suppose we can't give it a full reading right until the story concludes with her. But it does make me hesitate about how it will go, and the the school yeah. stuff has seemed that way too. Um, any other thoughts on the any motifs that we should pick at, or what are you thinking? No, I'm good. Me too. I'm good too. Let's move on to a new segment then. Keep it going. This is going to yeah. be what we call Please Continue Make It Stop. We only do this part in the first half of the book clubs because obviously we're reading the text only halfway. So we have trends that we like, things that we don't. And so we will pick on one of each or pick one of each rather. Amanda, why don't you begin? And you can pick either to start with, either something you wish would stop or something you'd wish would continue. Yeah. Um, I'll go with the the please continue just because we kind of talked about it before where yeah. it was actually the thing that you didn't like, the, the surprise that you didn't like, which is the mixing of the facts and the statistics with the storyline. Okay, um, yeah. I don't think that it's overly done because it's not like it's every page. Um, in the first half, there's, let me count, one, two, three, four, five, six. There are six pages that include footnotes. And right, right. I think that it does fit in well with the clinical style of the writing and and it does drive home the idea that this is any Korean woman could experience these things and in fact many Korean women have and it also highlights the culpability of the government for not really for implementing some things but not implementing other things so far which I think is part of the reason why legislation has changed um, because of like government being like, oh, snaps. Yeah, they really haven't done anything. But <laughs> right, right. Um, but I don't find it invasive. And I still feel like it is a novel. It's just that I think that it's a stylistic choice. So I actually enjoyed it because I I enjoyed also reading some of the, the statistics and some of the, that information and being like, wow, I had no idea about that. So it does give it an air of authority, unquestionably so. Did you find yeah. any of the specific references? I know you picked one out about the childbirth ratio issue. Did you find yeah. any of them particularly illuminating? I suppose what I would say, my critique of it isn't that they're there. It's that it's just the style that is wrapped around it does not grip me. But they're certainly not... They're not off-putting, detracting, or offensive in terms of just distraction. They're perfectly fine as they are. I don't. They don't bother me at all. It's it's even nice. Again, when I read it, it gives me the feeling that nonfiction often does. That my knowledge of the world is being illuminated in a factual way. Now I know. I now know that Korea had an experiment in population control, just like very infamously China did too. And I did not know that. And so now I just think, oh yes, my knowledge of this attempted governmental program in the world has expanded a little bit. So all of that has been good. Did, did any of them jump out in some way? Yeah. So the, the family uh, planning that they implemented that you, you touched mm -hmm. on, which was like the idea of abortion, abortion was only decriminalized in Korea this year. Oh, okay. That, that does not mean that it was never performed. In fact, doctors, doctors like full-on doctors your your obstetricians your your OBGYNs did and do perform those abortions it's just that it was like very hush hush and you had to like go into like a part of the clinic that is like like in the basement part <laughs> but it's all very much like clean and all that stuff it wasn't like that but right, it's just like right. the government knew that it was happening and they just kind of like you know turned a blind eye to it right yeah i don't and know I what the term would be but essentially a black market that they ignore 
Yeah. I know it's an yeah. economic term generally, but I'm not sure what the what the terminology would be, but something like that. Yeah. And and it's funny because I like for real doctors were doing it. It's not like, you know, the horror stories you hear like of America, like where you're in like the Bible belt or whatever and you have to drive somewhere and like some dude like takes out a hanger and stuff, like all that stuff. It wasn't like that. Right, right. Um but I, I found that interesting and I also found it interesting um that they were encouraging people to have smaller families. And I didn't think about that because right now there actually, there's a crisis in, in Korea as well as in Japan, actually the same thing where couples are getting married later, much later in life. And they're only yeah, having like yeah. one or two max children. Most Korean families only have one child. Very Western trend as well. European American yeah. trend too, for sure. Yeah. So it's like, so there's a huge elderly population Right, and like right. not a lot of them are working obviously because they're elderly, but there's a lot of social programs to help them. So it's like, anyway, so I found that interesting and I was thinking about it and I was like, actually like my mom, she comes from a family of five. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I was just like, interesting. So like at the time that my mom was born, they had not uh, implemented that rule that there was no, um, calling for smaller families yet she was like on the cusp of that age uh, being born during that age of it so I, I found right. that really interesting and uh, yeah I, I think that a lot of the information that I, I read about that, that she has footnotes for I, I was just like man I there's so much more that I could really like dig into and I like that there's actual like sort resources so if I am interested especially like as somebody who's not um, who was not born and raised in Korea, I think that's a great way to kind of like make this a global awareness thing. For sure. And I would add to that that I presume most of our audience wasn't and would find this quite illuminating. Yeah. Yeah. I will try and segue that into my make it stop. So I, because I'd like to clarify, I know I jumped on this right early in the pod. I think my make it stop is going to be simpler than this, and I know how simplistic this will sound. Perhaps that's intentionally so. There's just a lot of telling in this story, a mm -hmm. lot of telling, which is the most basic creative writing analysis, almost to the point of cliche. I know that. But it happens often enough, and perhaps I'll stumble upon some thesis about it in the next minute when I'm talking about it, but there were a couple examples where it just bugged me that there wasn't going to be more depth added that I was just going to be told something so simply and then walked through a brief summary of something without injecting again, just more elements of noticeable style and flair. I guess we could say there's a moment on page 28 when she gets pranked and begins to get pranked by boys in her class because the schools are now mixed gender. And on the top of that page, it reads her first obstacle in school life was the pranks of the boy deskmate that many schoolgirls experienced to G young. It felt more like harassment or violence than pranks. And there was nothing she could do about it besides run crying to mother and E young. And they weren't much help. E young said boys were immature and that G young should just ignore him. And mother tried to G young for crying and complaining over a classmate who was just messing around because he wanted to play. Fair enough dynamics there. It gives us some gender sort of perceptions from different people, different generations, both women or I guess girl in Young's case. Perfectly fine. But what that does for me is it sucks the tension out of what happens next, which is in the next couple pages, she's bullied in that way. And it basically plays out like that. It's a little different because one of her classmates intervenes. So there's kind of a little dramatic flair or twist to it. 
but it, I just don't know when you, when you're, when conflict is preceded by an explanation of coming conflict, I, that doesn't do a lot for me in a narrative sense or a dramatic sense. And I don't need every story to have insane dramatic twists. I don't think that's what I'm asking for here. But that is just a paragraph that is a couple of proper nouns away from being a newspaper article clipping about current gender dynamics in a country or a culture. Again, perfectly fine. It matches the annotations and all the footnotes and everything well. But there was another moment, I, I won't read it, but on 57, it happens with the financial crisis and that it obviously impacts her family in the story a lot and her father, expectations for his retirement and future businesses and everything. But then the depiction of their marital strife is a quote in a, in a summary. And it, one quick example about, well, he's got this Chinese business idea. Maybe he'll do it. Maybe he won't. The mother does have a funny quote about divorcing him, which an odd moment of like, I interpreted that as kind of levity you know, ribbing him a little bit in an otherwise, you know, pretty serious, straightforward narrative anyway. But both of those times, I just felt like it saps my reading energy almost when those things happen, because all I can think is, oh, that's what I'm about to get now. And then it happens. And I just think, okay, that was what I had expected based on you telling me that. Anyway, just a couple quick examples. So I don't think it's going to profoundly change in the back half. I don't even wish that the story was written differently because it's clearly done with such intentionality. And I think you've laid out the best reasons for that. And it all works. I, I can't say it's for me in terms of like lighting up my brain and bringing me to literary bliss or whatever, but it's also perfectly fine. I've enjoyed the first half well. Um, I don't know if I want to end there on a really vague summary, but I'm not sure if you felt those moments too, or if there were other moments that jumped out in that way. I think for me, it's like, uh, maybe a bit different perhaps because, um, as a woman, maybe I'm reading it differently. Um, the, the literary elements, as far as like not having a whole bunch of like, the mm, de description of of like the, the leading up to it and stuff and, and how it just kind of almost, it almost is like listing all these traumas that she's going through without a whole yeah. lot of fanfare yeah. with it. Um, it didn't bother me as much. I thought that that was also very purposeful because it's like, there's so much that she has gone through in such a short time. Um, yeah. That was, yes. Narratively, yeah, it so doesn't I, give I anything. Yeah, it doesn't give anything a huge amount of time to breathe, per se. Yeah. It moves at such a clip and even moves through time at that at that same clip, at that same rapid, fast pace. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, in our literary, you and I have a literary language a little bit from the Penguin Classics. Mm -hmm. Let's just throw in uh, the old Perkins Gilman. That's just probably the easiest one that you and I both agree upon or, you know, stylistically yeah. admire or something. Oh, yeah. I, this just doesn't have any flair in that regard now. That's pretty, it's pretty simplistic of me to compare like the one prominent feminist author we read to this one that's, you know, maybe I should pull from something else. We can talk about the Odyssey. Remember those descriptions of the giant being stabbed in the eye? I don't, you know, I don't want to be <laughs> flip about it, but I just, I just don't see, I mean, if we did the George Orwellian analysis and just picked out the verbs in this book, it's bland. This is bland. And topically, mm -hmm. it's intense. Socially, it's important, it's crucial, but I look for literary things and I find not much. Again, 
that can be perfectly fine. We're also only halfway through, but yeah, yeah, that's, I think if I had to pick a make it stop, this is a category we should maybe rename because I don't expect that to stop. And frankly, if this is the style that she wants this to be, which clearly it is, then I, yeah, maybe this is an odd title because I feel weird saying like, stop writing like that when, you know, it's working one and two, it's clearly meant to, you know, under underscore and convey the the essential social dynamics but yeah it was the thing that i found myself kind of shrugging at the most throughout it so what was your make it stop um my make it stop was just um actually the the portrayal of all of the male figures in the book so far have all been like negative and i'm on board for this so let's dig in go ahead yeah (laughs) um it's just even her husband at the beginning, right? He's and he's the only one with a name, too. He's the only male with mm-hmm. a name. Um, he also is not somebody who is actually sticking up for her or is even much of a partner, right? Like he falls asleep instead of helping. He um, is very flip with her when she like asks him to like tell her something like hey could you tell me that i'm doing a good job as a mother and as a wife because i'd appreciate it and he's like oh you're so cute blah 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 right so it's like every single male figure is so negatively set up and and hey i get it i understand why she did it i mean obviously it's she it's this is a feminist work but also i think it's like for me i just want to be like well i mean i understand doing that but not all men are like that. And even the woman, when she says like, Hey, not all of them are like that. Like to, to, um, Ji Young, when she talks to her on the phone, the woman who saved her, not all of them are like that. We, we have not yet actually seen any other male figure who is not like that. Right. Right. So it's like making men seem really terrible right now. And mm-hmm. granted, the guys in, in the novel that are interacting with Ji Young are not are not great. Even like the little brother, um, you know, he's very selfish and, and only thinks of himself. But I don't know. I, I for They're... me, I, I was just like, it's, it's very one note. Yes. To treat all men like that. It's it's an absence that really screams. And you notice it because of how often, like you said before, it's almost a list quality in the story in terms of conflict and wrongdoing and social ill. And then, yeah, can we check in with the men's, the reporter on the ground with the men? And it's like, I've got nothing to say, Bob. Okay. See you. You know, it's like a news reporter with nothing to check in about. No, I think it's, that was stylistically, it was working for me immensely, especially when the father had his one moment and then berated her when you expected, yeah. but, and it's such a twist, right? Cause he comes to seemingly save her and then he, well, I mean, he kind of does in the literal moment, but then later, of course he undoes all of that, you know, actual parenting with the, you know, an unnecessary attack. And so I, I'm finding it to be that you're going to get different flavors of male and kind of misogynistic failure and so it's sort of you've got the really passive one in the brother too young to be complacent or not complacent complicit but also part of a system and so is he's a part of the system he can't you can't extricate him from the system and so he's a part of it you've got the father who has a strange dynamic with the mother and there's love but also it's tainted and you could argue that with the husband too the husband also 
who at times seem sincere and kind, it's like, oh, they have a playfulness. They, their relationship is healthy, right? You want to be, you want to have fun and joke with your significant other. And he just doesn't read it all into her trauma, though he right. does get her a therapist. I'm not going to sit here and defend his decision making because I agree with your reading of the book that it's, it's sidelining them to the point of silence, I think, you know, very intentionally. But yeah, I think you're just getting these different dynamics of how men can fail in this in a society built this way and structured this way and with culturally with setting cultural expectations a certain way all that stuff all the patriarchal stuff and so that actually was working to me i did not miss them per se and i feel like every time they entered the story it was for a reason or i guess i could put it that way that's a little simplistic obviously as a an analysis but i thought that was working for me though at this point if if a male character comes in and is a kind of white knight figure, would that is that preferable at this point? Do you think? No, not at all. But I yeah. think having somebody, maybe a male character who is flawed, but who, um, so like her husband Dehyun, if he we see that he's quite flawed and that he is selfish and that he is you know thinking mostly of himself, even if they do have a good relationship, he's not helping her out much with anything as far as like her right uh, taking care of the kid and stuff and asking her about her day um if he comes through in the end to support her and to like perhaps change his ways or something or to change his mindset or to become more of a partner rather than somebody who feels like you know he should also be like catered to when he gets home i think that that's that would be something that i would 100% be on board with. And let me use that as the perfect segue to my please continue. Please get back to the interesting part of the story, the part when she's an adult (laughs) and is having a total psychological meltdown and she is becoming people in her past, different ages, different personas, different women that represent different things. That It started off with an immensely attractive, interesting narrative for me and then immediately abandon it, and now I get pages of summary of Korea's social issues over the years. Perfectly fine. Didn't know about basically any of them. Very illuminating. But can we please get back to and away from the newspaper articling to something dynamic and weird? And it was just becoming a little haunted The on page 9 when she does it in front of his family and goes completely out of body. On page three, as you noted, when she starts sucking her thumb in front of him, these are eerie things that are deeply complex and have a lot of history implication about how women are treated and how their kind of state of mind and emotional mental health is treated and perceived. Just get back to it. I don't know. It really started to lose me. It's very readable and I've been enjoying it. I just would love to spend more time in that part of the narrative and I couldn't believe that it was abandoned in in such a in such a quick and so readily i guess i would say and mm-hmm. i think just to revisit your reading from way earlier i think you nailed it they're doing the classic um what's in medea's res or whatever mm-hmm. you start me with some interesting conflict now i'm getting all the download here's the history here's how she was written that's fine i'm not here to edit the book and give her a different idea for structure she has this is well within her control but yeah as a reader i felt abandoned when that happened i was really latched onto that and thought it was just it came out so hot and i just thought oh this is going to be almost like a disturbing 
in a way work not was i was expecting some kind of horror thriller or something but Mm -hmm. i was so on board and it it just ground to a halt for me in terms of just personal literary interest so i think yeah i i really wanted to read into that section so i really wanted to continue and come back yeah i i found that part really interesting as well and like really creepy in in a very psychologically creepy way and and uh yeah and I think that, yeah, she's definitely now is the download of the, the reasons for why she's like that. But I think right, yeah, right. once we get into uh, adulthood, college years and adulthood, we'll definitely see more of that, I guess, like psychological dissociation, personality dissociation. Yeah, it's know. some kind of mix of traumatic reliving or, yeah, some kind of disassociative disorder. Uh, maybe yeah. I don't even I, who knows if it's a disorder if it's a temporary psychosis of some kind who knows I'm throwing out words here that I don't even really remember from AP Psych 20 years ago <laughs> at this point but it is it just there is there's such a literary history to that and I found it very rich and immediately was grappling with the different people she was transitioning into and out of and the the to put him in front of her husband's family so quickly just immediately was gas on the pedal in terms of conflict and just stirring up drama things like that and then yeah to have it all be taken away for a narrative that was much more straightforward perfectly serviceable but just quite different i felt like i had the rug pulled out on me but i'm pretty confident that they'll get back to that it would blow my mind if the story finished by not going back to the adult version i'm pretty certain that will not happen yeah. So yeah. I really look forward to that. Okay. Let's end then since we've talked about the second half, which I've not read any of, by the way. We're doing this one pure. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're both going in pure of mind. We are now <laughs> going to make one big, bold prediction. This is how we always end the first book clubs when we're splitting something in half. Amanda, go ahead and talk us through a big, bold prediction you have for the second half of this. Sure. Um, so Eun ended up going um, into teacher college, even though what she really wanted to do was to go into like reporting and into newscasting and stuff. Um, yeah. But I think that Eun Young will be successful in whatever she decides to do, um, whether it is to be a teacher and a parent and all that stuff, which I think she's kind of up in the air about right now as far as, like, wanting to be a mom. And the old um, story moment, sorry, to, at the beginning, mm-hmm. did it say anything about any of her family? I don't remember. About- like did it about G Young? No, no, no. Adult G Young moments before the flashback stuff. Mm-hmm. Did it say anything then about her parents or Un Young or anybody that we know now? Um, the only thing that it mentioned at the beginning about G Young's family is that her parents own a restaurant, and when she uh, goes um, to Daehyun's family's for Chuseok, which is Korean Thanksgiving. Um, then she kind of like hints that they don't see her parents as often. Gotcha. Okay. And, and the reason that we know about the restaurant is because specifically they men- uh, the author mentions that in order to point out that Ji Young has to take care of the child 100% by herself because her parents yeah, she doesn't get to are tag. still working. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. get to tag them in. Yeah. Yeah. Is that helpful, Amanda, <laughs> to have a tag? <laughs> Sorry, little little bit yes. of a background rapport there for the for the uninitiated listener. Anyway, I hear it's nice to have childcare on call, but whatever. What it's do I know? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Seem does seem nice. Does seem nice. Anyway, sorry. Continue um, with the prediction. Yeah, uh, but I think that Eun Young will be successful in whatever she does because 
the narrative so far has shown that women can't like the women are are jugglers that can do everything pretty much and they they take care of family as well as often support the family even even Jiyoung's mom supports the family on the side with doing odd and end jobs right and the opposite I, I predict that probably the opposite will be true for the brother because Interesting. in mm. yeah in the book the narrative tends to show that like with uh Jiyoung's grandmother's husband he didn't do anything right um and then right, with right. her own father he wanted to make some bad investments he's and he got made big some schemes. poor decisions sorry He's got big schemes coming, Amanda. You just got to wait. Right, he's I got mean... big schemes, but the mom vetoes them because the <laughs> mom obviously is the one who's really good at coming up with ideas and stuff like that. So based on like what we see as far as like trends go, I would say that Eun-young will be successful, and I think that the brother is going to end up uh, not if he if he is successful, it's because somebody some other woman is making him successful. Yes, yeah, and ha- with his pass- passivity, rather, in the narrative, that, right. that would read well. I, right. I didn't mean to interject over you before, though I do it all the time. No, you're you're saying you don't think the father's big schemes, his random China contact is going to pay off? No. <laughs> no? Oh, man, really? He's got such a great plan. <laughs> he knows no. a guy. Haven't you ever just known a guy and had it work out? <laughs> Never. Yeah, Classic. <laughs> and yeah, instead, just go for, turn over one restaurant to another, ride the culinary waves, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. culinary trends. My prediction is, I guess, more vague, but also more tragic. So I'm going to ride my rebellion motif into the prediction. I do think that when we finally get back to adult Jiang and she's still disassociating or having some kind of psychological confusion of some kind, I think it's going to end in an act of rebellion for her of some sort where under the guise of maybe being someone else or thinking like someone else, she's going to do something extreme, perhaps leave her family. Maybe they'll even abandon her because she seems so unwell. Maybe they'll institutionalize her or something tragic. I get suicide vibes off of this story, which it feels like such a blase blase way of saying something that's really horrific, but I could see the narrative going really extreme with that part of it and really having her meltdown be complete in that awful way. I, I almost hope it doesn't, and if it does end up with, if it wants to go so tragic, and I guess her being abandoned by her family would be a different kind of tragedy, almost equal to it in a way. But if it does want to go that far, I just hope we get back to the adult stage a little more quickly so that can be built up in a, in a more satisfying way, I suppose, just for me. But I, I do think my official prediction is going to be tragic end for her because of the disassociations. I think the safe prediction would be something split with her family of some kind, or maybe they, maybe she leaves them assuming she's someone else or pretending or something like that. But something about the clinical nature of this reads like there's going to be some kind of death, maybe a suicide in the story. I don't know why I'm reading it that way. Well, I mean, yeah, at the very beginning, even uh, Ji Young admits to having had um, postpartum depression. Yes. And then yes. right after giving birth, she had postpartum depression and then her best friend dies from maybe, yes. a terrible childbirth situation. Right. Maybe that maybe that put the sort of seed of thinking about, you know, women yeah. sacrifice, women death in that yeah. or female death in that sort of literary trope in that category. Yeah. And so 
And maybe I'm just thinking of other really famous feminist texts that end in that specific tragic way. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm putting it mentally in that tradition or something. But I couldn't help but pause at this point in the story and think when we return to that, I just, the way it cut off, I just can't imagine it ending casually in any way with how right. it was building up and the tension it was creating and everything and the. The fact that she was picking different personas and how off-putting and just eerie that was, I just think it that I think that's going to end in a tragedy. We'll, I'll say family abandonment or something like that for now, but I, I just hope if they do decide to pursue a suicide narratively that just some more time and build up, I, I would appreciate, but we will see how that, you know, that wraps up. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the first half of Kim Ji-young born 1982? No, it's um, a really fast read for sure. And, Definitely, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a short book overall, so. For sure. Yeah, it's, I, I've enjoyed it so far. Yes, I've enjoyed it too, and don't let any of my criticisms tell anyone otherwise. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have enjoyed it and found it very easy going to read, very breezy. For such difficult subject matter, that's not light praise for sure. Right. Okay, well, let's wrap up part one. If you've listened this far, we do hope you join us for part two, which will be coming out. Oh, see, this is the part I should have done because we're recording this in advance. (laughs) It's coming out (laughs) soon. How about this? Next Friday, you were listening to this part one on a Friday. We always release book club episodes on Fridays. Part two will be releasing next Friday, so we'll give you a week to finish the book and catch up with us. And then, obviously, if you're not done by then, just save it for later. A couple quick announcements. Again, follow the Lightly Literary Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Those are our two main social feeds. Rate and review us on iTunes or the, you know, platform of your choice. And then if you've, again, made it this far, you might be curious what we're reading next. The next three books we have chosen in order are Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Not going to say much more about those. That's just for you, you know, workaheads, those tryhards at home, the the students who always want to get the syllabus in advance and everything. Those are the next three things we'll be reading, but we'll announce those in advance. We'll have book recommendations so you can decide at that moment. Okay. Any um, any final thoughts for the listeners, Amanda? Uh, no, I'm good. Excellent. Well, let's go catch some peeping Toms and let's go put some perverts... <laughs> I mean, maybe not in jail. Let's try and rehabilitate him, guys. I don't know. Prison's not had a good couple of years. Like, the police is... Anyway. (laughs) I'm not just saying we need to pack the jails, but let's also, you know, try and do our part for our community and get the get the flashers out of here okay there's so much porn online flashers just just put it put it to rest all right get help get help get therapy that's that's us the light literary podcast until next week we will see you between the pages 